And this morning we are concluding our series on me culture. Uh, me culture where uh, we are about catering to the individual, catering to me. And while our me culture has become more and more about us, uh, virtues, those things that develop character that are foundational for doing what is right have quietly faded away. And it's easy for us to condemn and judge our culture for abandoning virtues, but um, honestly, the church has kind of walked away from them too. Uh, we want faith in Jesus to be something that fits into our lifestyle. Um, and this is really not a new phenomenon. It's been happening for years. Uh, but God really isn't about fitting into our plans. Uh, God invites us to fit into his plans. And um, as we've been saying throughout this series in regards to following Jesus and virtues, uh, Christ-like character does not make us followers of Jesus, but surely Christ-like character should be a result of following Jesus. Um, me culture is the opposite of faith culture. Uh, me culture and Jesus's values are opposites. Uh, one is about the love of self and the other is about loving God and loving our neighbors. And for thousands of years, the church has held up what is called cardinal uh, virtues. Cardinal meaning foundational. And the cardinal virtues that we've been highlighting in this series includes things like faith, and hope, love, wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. And this morning, we're going to focus on that last one, temperance. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. And just to give you a little bit of a heads up, if you were to read all of Romans 6, um, one thing that you would notice is that Romans 6 uses a lot of death kind of language, uh, whether it's the word death or dead or died and buried. Uh, it also will mix in some life and new life language as well. But a first reading of Romans chapter 6, uh, it really sounds quite strange. Um, but um, the passage this morning, it begins with a phrase that says, count yourselves dead to sin. Now, in our time, we have a phrase in which we might tell somebody, uh, hey, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Now, that's a painful thing to hear if you're on the receiving end of that. But you're dead to me basically means that you no longer matter to me. Um, you're dead to me means that as I live my life, uh, your concerns, which used to matter to me, things that you were concerned about, I was concerned about. Well, those things, um, they don't matter to me anymore. Your concerns don't matter to me anymore. They are not going to influence me. That's what you are dead to me means. Now, the phrase, count yourselves dead to sin, is saying something similar to that. And if you look through this passage through that lens, it should make a little bit more sense. Our scripture reader this morning is Kelly Golay. So Kelly, go and make your way up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask you please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we stand because we believe this is the word of God and we read from the center of the room uh, to remind ourselves that scripture is to be central in our lives. And so Kelly, whenever you are ready, please read from Romans 6 verses 11 to 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body 
so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Kelly, thank you very much, and you may be seated. You know, um, other than sports, I really don't fit a lot of your typical guy stereotypes. You know, I don't hunt. Uh, the closest thing I do to hunting is I shoot flies with my bug assault gun. Uh, anyone else have a bug assault gun? It's a gun that you put table salt, not salt pellets, but table salt. You pour it in the gun, and then it shoots flies, and it kills them. It actually it works really well, actually. So um, that's about as close as I get to hunting. Uh, I haven't tried to mount any of my flies yet. That's a good idea. Um, but it, is, it does happen to be fly season, just so you know. Um, I don't fish much. Uh, maybe I'll go once a year, and the last like five times I've been fishing, I haven't caught a thing. Uh, after the uh, first service, someone said, hey, they have something called magnet fishing you should try. So I'm kind of interested in that. Um, I'm really not into cars. I'm not a do-it-yourself, home project kind of guy, unless changing light bulbs counts. Okay, that's about as close as I get. Um, one stereotype that does fit me is the whole TV remote thing, okay? I like having control of the TV. Uh, in my home, we watch a lot of Big Bang Theory. Um, the other night, I was watching that with my family, and there was a scene where one of the characters, Sheldon, for those of you who are familiar with the show, uh, Sheldon is playing a Christmas song on his recorder. And so I've got the remote control of the song, he finishes playing the song, and I pause the show. And I'm gonna ask my daughter, if she knows what Christmas song he was just playing. I like to do that from time to time. And apparently, I do this kind of stuff a lot because as soon as I paused the TV show, but before I got one word out, didn't get a single word out, my daughter says, it's little town of Bethlehem, Dad. And I just kind of look at her. And I was kind of impressed that she knew what I was going to ask before I even asked it. Um, but I was also dumbfounded, and I needed to recover. I needed to recover. And so I, I replied. I said, actually, it's what child is this? It's what child is this? Um, I like having control of the TV remote. I just do. Temperance is about control. We like to control things. And we like to feel like that we are in control. And we usually focus our control on things outside of us. We want to control things other than just us. We try to control others, control circumstances, control our futures. Well, temperance, it's about self-control. A really good definition of temperance is restraint or the ability to, monitor, to moderate your desires. Temperance is restraint, the ability to moderate your desires. Out of all the things that we like to control, we don't like to control ourselves. Um, it's ironic because God wants us to trust him to control everything else, and God expects us to control ourselves, and we get it backwards. 
We like to control everything but ourselves. Uh, In Romans 6, Paul portrays sin as a master. And when sin is a master, you do whatever the master wants. And so if sin is our master, then we are sin's slaves. If you go back to the passage and look at verse 12, um, where it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And if you jump down to verse 14, where it says, For sin shall no longer be your master. There are words like reign and obey and master. And all of that is slave language. It implies that we are slave to sin. If sin is our master, well, then we do whatever sin wants us to do. And sin, while it um, impacts every area of who we are and our lives, sin takes shape most often in our desires. Verse 12 actually says, It calls it evil desires. Now, desires are good things, okay? Desires are the engine of life. If we have no desires, we're not going to do anything, right? If you don't desire anything, you're not going to do anything. It's like, you know, when adult children fail to launch, when they don't move out of the house, when they're content to stay in the basement, no job, no school, Their problem is they have no desire. They have no ambition. Desires are what motivate us, and so desires are good. But the main consequence of the fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is that our desires become tainted by sin. Not everything we wanted was good anymore. Our desires are tainted. We want things that are contrary to what God wants. And when the primary reason for our behavior is our desires, well, bad things can happen, all sorts. Just imagine. Imagine if we did, if you did, if I did, whatever we felt like doing all the time. If we did what we wanted to do at every given moment, what would that be like for you? (laughs) It would be chaos. When our desires become our masters, it gets ugly. Sin is a terrible master, but sin is a powerful master. Sin is master. We do whatever the master wants. And if we do whatever our sinful desires want, it is chaos. But grace, grace frees us from doing whatever the master wants. If you go back to verse 14 in the passage, where it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, God sees what sin does to us, how it hurts us, how it hurts the ones we love, how it hurts the whole world. And so God frees us from our sin. And in doing so, God does not replace 
one taskmaster with another taskmaster. See, many of us think that God wants us to simply follow a bunch of rules. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. That's what Paul calls the law. And there is a lot of law in the Bible. Um, But the purpose of the law in the Bible is not to free us from sin. The purpose of the law in the Bible is not to free us from sin. The law shows us what God values and what God considers good, and the law shows us how much sin has rule over our lives. But the law is not designed to free us from our sin. And think about it. If sinful desires say, do this and do this and do this and do this, and the law comes and says, do this and do this and do this and do this, well, while the details are different, it's basically the same thing. We're replacing one taskmaster with another taskmaster. And God doesn't want to be our taskmaster. God wants to be our father. You see, the law addresses behavior. And the problem that we have, it isn't just our behavior. Our problem is a heart problem. Our hearts are the issue. It's not just our behavior that needs to change. Our hearts need to change. And you don't change anyone's heart with a bunch of rules. That never works. You look, murder is illegal everywhere in the United States. There are all sorts of laws about how murder is illegal in the United States. And yet murder still happens every day. Happens every day. Is that because the law is bad? Or is it because our hearts are bad? Now, I'm not implying that we should make murder legal. That's a horrible idea, okay? But the point is that just because there are all kinds of laws against murder doesn't get rid of it completely. The only way that's going to happen is if everybody's heart changes. And you don't change hearts with a bunch of rules. It doesn't work that way. Hearts must be softened. Hearts must be won over. And so God offers us his grace. And he says, hey, look, (laughs) I know to the depth that you are messed up. I know the depth of your sin. And all that stuff that you hide from everybody else, I'm well aware of it. And I love you. I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Paul goes on to say it's God's kindness that is intended to lead us to repentance. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And when we realize how much God loves us, when we really let it sink in, what Jesus did on the cross and how much that demonstrates the love of God, well, that should win our hearts. And when God has our hearts, well, now we look to him as a father 
God is our father, and the good kind of father, uh, not the one who makes you answer trivia questions when you're trying to watch TV. When God has our hearts, God is our father, and we will want to have the same values as our father because sin is no longer our master. And this is where temperance comes into play, the virtue of temperance. Temperance is how we can daily experience our freedom in Christ. If you look back one more time in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, where it says, count yourselves dead to sin. Again, dead to sin. Remember that whole you're dead to me thing earlier in the message. Paul is saying, well, basically tell sin the same thing. I'm dead to you. And then in verse uh, 12, where it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Or jumping down to verse 13, where it says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Temperance is moderating our desires which is what Paul is talking about here. When he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that's temperance. Or do not offer any part of yourself to sin, that's temperance. In other words, monitor your desires. Don't just do anything you want to do. Monitor your desires. Measure your desire against the word of God And whatever part of your desire is contrary to God, consider yourself dead to that. That part of your desire has no place in your life. You have been freed from that. Freed from that sin. Now, it still shows up. Sin has not been completely eradicated yet, but it is not your master. It does not define who you are at all. It is contrary to who you are in Christ. Rather, Paul says, offer yourselves to God. Offer every part of yourself to him. All of that is temperance. Now, it's common, it's common for families to have certain values. And different families have different values. For some families, it's the value of hard work. And for other families, it's the value of honesty. And for other families, it's the value of building each other up. And these values get communicated and they get instilled in us um, in all sorts of different ways. But the bottom line is somehow, some way, all families instill certain values into all the members of the family, okay? It's like, because we are the, insert your family name here, we do this. So hey, we're the Swoboda family, we build each other up. That's what we do here, okay? It's who we are. And most of us, when we are little kids, uh, we wanna be just like our parents. We will imitate what they do, how they talk, walk, interact with others. So if you are a parent of a, child who's, you know, elementary school or younger, the pressure's on because they're going to want to do everything you do, okay? Now, when most of us become teenagers, 
That all changes, okay? We do the opposite. We don't want to be anything like our parents. In fact, we'll say either to ourselves or our friends, you know, when I'm on my own, I'm never going to, you know, and then we list a bunch of things that our parents do, you know. Um, and, and we'll even go as far as say, is, hey, and if I ever have kids, I'm never going to say, and then you list all the f- favorite phrases that your parents have, okay? Um, and if you have teenagers, you may be experiencing that, okay? Um, and then what happens is we, whatever age we get to, we're on our own, and you know what happens? We do what our parents did. Um, and if we have kids, we are horrified at finding ourselves saying the exact same phrases our parents said that we swore we would never say. And you know why that's true for most of us? That's true for all of us, but that's true for most of us. And you know why that's true? Because our parents have our hearts. And this was true for Jesus. The Father had Jesus' heart. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus experiences temptation and he practices temperance. Where the devil comes to tempt Jesus to turn stones into bread or to test God or to worship the devil in exchange for the world. And each time Jesus is uh, tempted, he tempers it with comparing what is being offered to the word of God. And Jesus chose to do what the Father desired because the Father's values were Jesus's values. If God has our hearts, we will offer ourselves to him. We will surrender ourselves to him. Not to try to win his love, because we already have it, (laughs) but because of his love. God loves us. God cares for us. He wants what is best for us. And so we temper our desires. And Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. He says, no, I'm not going to be a slave to the desires of my mortal body. It is going to be my slave because my heart belongs to God, not to sin, not to my sinful desires. Temperance, it keeps us from doing whatever we want. And temperance has us surrender our desires to God's desires. And temperance empowers us to experience that we are not a slave to sin, to experience that sin does not define us because God has won our hearts. You know, take one more look at the cardinal uh, virtues, the Christian cardinal virtues. Um, Which one do you need to work on the most? Now, I know you could say, I need to work on all seven. All right, just be kind to yourself. Just pick one, all right? Pick one that you need to work on the most. Faith, hope, love, wisdom, justice, courage, temperance. 
Which one do you need the Spirit to work in your heart with the most? You see, these things are the things God had in mind when he created us. These Spirit-inspired virtues enable us to live out our faith in Jesus. They empower us to fulfill our God-given potential and purpose, not just as individuals, but as a community of faith. God wants to renew these virtues in our lives. What if these virtues defined TFRC in greater measure? Where TFRC was this community of faith, or a community of hope and a community of love, a community of wisdom, of justice, of courage, of temperance. What kind of impact would we make in our greater community? What kind of light would that shine? A community defined by the lost art of God-given virtues because God has won our hearts. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do come before you this morning. And Lord, I would ask that you would soften each of our hearts and remind us of your love demonstrated on the cross how you gave up your life so that we may have eternal life. Lord, soften our hearts and help us see um, how we can become more like you because you have captured our hearts. And we love you, Lord, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen but receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.